0: Their razors provide a smooth shave every time. And their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot gold. The Peter Schiff Show. I'd like to thank ExpressVPN for its continued support of the Peter Schiff Show podcast. You got to stop handing over your personal data to the ISPs and the other tech giants who mine your activity and sell your information. So go to expressvpn.com/gold and you can get an extra 3 months free on your 1 year package. While most of the investment news continues to focus on what's happening in the stock market, They're not really paying attention to what's happening in the commodity market, which of course is going to influence what's happening in the supermarket and in the rest of the economy. But agricultural commodities are on fire. We're hitting pretty much five-year highs across the board. Look at the price of corn today, up better than 5% in one day, the price of corn. Wheat prices, almost as big a move, 4.73%. Remember, these are five-year highs in the price of wheat. Oats up over 2%, rice 2%. Look at soybeans, 3.7%. We really have beans in the teens now because now they're in the 14s. $14.23 for beans. Look at the meal. Soybean meal is up. 4.4% today. So, even a bigger move in the meal uh, than in the beans themselves. But it's not just agricultural commodities. Look at these industrial metals. Look at the price of copper. Copper was up just over 2% today, 2.13% as I'm checking prices, over $3.64 for a pound of copper. Now, again, that's a five year high. The record high for copper prices was about four and a quarter. That was set back in 2011. But I think we could take out a record high for the price of copper in 2021. And what's driving prices for industrial metals, for agricultural commodities, it's not strong economic growth, right? We're not having record growth. In fact, we still have the pandemic. What's driving commodity prices higher is the record growth in money supply, right? The Fed is cranking out money like it's going out of style. It's doing it to monetize record U.S. government budget deficits, but it's also doing it to prevent interest rates from rising. Look at Treasury yield prices today. The yield on the 10-year closed at almost 1.14%. We got as high as 1.187 intraday. The 30-year got above 1.9. We got 1.915 was the high before we had a bit of buying in the 30-year later in the day. So the yields moved back down uh, just below 1.9% to 1.885. Of course, these are still historically low yields. It's just the yields are nowhere near as historically low as they were earlier last year, you know, March-April time frame. And of course, since we have such a historically large amount of debt, we can't handle uh, historically normal uh, interest rates, which is where rates are headed. In fact, I think they'd end up being higher than normal, given the abnormal amount of debt, but the Fed can't let that happen. In fact, if you look at a chart of the 30-year bond, we could move very quickly from a 2% yield to a 4% yield. Now, 4%, again, that's still a historic low yield for treasury bonds. I mean, it, it hasn't been until recently, right, that you were able to, the government anywhere was able to borrow for 30 years at 4%. That is a historically low cost of debt. But again, Your cost of borrowing should be commensurate with your risk and how much you've already borrowed. So given the fact that we have so much more debt now than we had in the past, America is a worse credit risk now than it was in the past. Not necessarily a risk of default, because as long as we have a printing press, we don't have to default. The risk is inflation. The risk is that we print a bunch of money because we owe so much debt. We can't raise taxes on the population to cover the debt. So we have to print money, which is exactly what we're doing, which is why commodity prices are rising. And that's why bond prices are falling. That's why the dollar is falling. You know, so far, the only price that isn't really rising is the gold and silver price. And again, that's because investors still think that, Higher rates are going to be bad for gold and silver because they think the Fed is going to fight inflation, even though there's no way they're going to do it, and because stock prices are also rising, and so people are less inclined to hedge their stock portfolios with gold when their stock portfolios are going up. But stock portfolios are going up for the same reason that commodity prices are going up. It is inflation. Look at oil. The price of oil now above $53 a barrel. I've been talking on this podcast about how bullish I am on oil. I've been buying all these stocks. We own lots of oil stocks, agricultural stocks, industrial metal stocks, all this. I've prepared for this inflation. Very few people are. Oil prices are not going to stop going up. We could actually hit $100 a barrel in 2021. And again, it is not economic growth that is driving this oil train. It is inflation. It is money supply growth. It is the Fed and other central banks that are debasing fiat currencies. And so you need more currency to buy oil or to buy copper or to buy wheat or any of these commodity prices that are going up. It is a reflection of the value of paper money going down and what is going to be a big factor in the oil market this time is that when oil hits hundred dollars a barrel again and again it may do it in 2021 it's going to be a whole different ball game from when it was at a hundred dollars a barrel before because that was during the shale boom when we had a lot of drilling remember that drill baby drill And America was producing a lot of oil. So even though oil was expensive, we weren't importing as much of it. So it didn't have as big an impact on our trade deficit. Well, if oil goes up to $100 a barrel this year, our trade deficit, which is already a record high, is just going to go further through the roof because we don't have the productive capacity that we had back then, nor are we going to uh, get it back Investors lost a fortune in the oil industry. I mean, I know I lost a bunch of money investing in shale oil myself. I mean, a lot of people got encouraged to invest in, you know, in the Bakken and all this early on. And I started investing in in 2009 in that. And I lost money like a lot of other investors in uh, the market because we were sold a bill of goods because it cost a lot more than we were told to drill. And the wells were far less productive. I mean, they produced a lot of oil right away, but then the production quickly uh, tapered off and then you had to keep spending more and more money uh, to to get more production. And so people got wiped out financing the last oil boom. They're not going to come back for a second round. In fact, they've lost a bunch of money. They don't even have the money, even if they wanted to reinvest. They, they, they can't because they lost so much money last time. And of course, even if oil prices rush back up to $100 a barrel, people are going to be too worried that they're not going to stay there. Prices are going to have to be up for years and years and years before the industry can attract the necessary capital to take advantage of it by increasing production. So when oil is $100 a barrel, if Americans want oil, we're going to have to import it because we ain't going to produce it. I mean, we'll produce some, but we're not going to produce nearly enough. In fact, we might end up exporting some of what we produce uh, and Americans are really going to have to pay through the nose if they want to buy any. But another factor that is going to diminish US oil production and therefore make us even more reliant on what's produced abroad is going to be a Biden administration that is anti-oil, right? Obviously, they're for clean energy, Green New Deal. They are going to uh, enact uh, legislation, regulations that are going to increase the costs of developing oil and gas reserves, exploration, drilling. So it's going to be more expensive. And so we're going to have Uh, less production domestically. Obviously, that is going to happen. There may even be higher taxes on the energy industry. So we are going to be more dependent than ever on the rest of the world. So what is that going to do? That is going to push up the trade deficit, which means we need to print even more money to pay for all that imported oil. And what is all that going to do to the dollar? It's going to push the dollar down. And as the dollar goes down, that puts more upward pressure on, you guessed it, oil prices, but also the price of every other commodity. And of course, it puts more downward pressure on bonds as everybody is dumping them, and therefore more upward pressure on interest rates. And what does that mean? Well, now the Fed has to print even more money to buy up all the bonds that everybody is selling to prevent interest rates from rising. This is gonna be an inflationary holocaust. I mean, it's going to be a death spiral of inflation where the more inflation we get, the more inflation the Fed is forced to create. It's gonna be the opposite of what happened when Paul Volcker uh, came in under Ronald Reagan. So this is gonna be a complete currency collapse inflation this is just getting started you know right now nobody even cares nobody's paying attention right the fed wants more inflation uh meanwhile they're going to get a lot more than anybody bargained for but the key is understand how this is going to affect the economy, how this is going to affect your portfolios and make sure that you inflation proof your portfolio. I mean, inflation really is a tax when you get right down to it, right? That is what the government is doing. It is financing expending by creating money and they are taxing you by taking your purchasing power instead of your money and the price of everything that you want to buy is going to go up. So what you want to do is get rid of your dollars now before the bottom drops out and buy other assets, which is what we're doing. But the one asset that you want to avoid that you don't want to buy as an inflation hedge is Bitcoin. And I want to spend a little time again on this podcast discussing Bitcoin and, and why it's not an inflation hedge, because it is being marketed as an inflation hedge. And that is part of the lie. Right? That's how they're trying to convince people to buy it. Now, Yesterday or over the weekend, Bitcoin prices collapsed from, I think, a high of $42,000 on Sunday night down to a low of about 30000 on Monday morning. So that was a 28% decline basically in a 24-hour period in the price of Bitcoin. Now, I know what everyone's going to say, but Peter, look, it was still 30000 So had you bought it, you know, weeks ago or months ago you're still making money which is true but the point is something that can drop by 28 percent in less than 24 hours is not a safe haven it is not a store of value it is a highly speculative asset and i'll put asset in quotes but bitcoin is not a commodity so it can't be a hedge really against inflation and it's not an investment And the crazy thing about it is, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but the most ridiculous things I've ever heard with respect to investments or respect to gold are the things that the Bitcoin proponents are saying now to try to justify the, the price of Bitcoin. Now, if you want to think about an inflation hedge, I just talked about what's happening to commodity prices, right? The price of wheat is going up and corn and soybeans and oil. Now, what if you want to hedge against that, right? What if, you know, you're going to buy wheat in the future, right? Apart from going into the commodity markets, right? Because you could buy a futures contract and, and buy wheat futures or something like that, where you can buy wheat today for future delivery. But apart from, you know, commodities, uh, futures, which, of course, involve counterparties and, and, and those type of risks. But if you want to hedge the cost of, wheat in the future, you could, in theory, buy the wheat now and take delivery and hold on to it. And then you could consume the wheat in the future or with corn or oil. You can get a big tank of oil in your backyard and just put all the oil you think you're ever going to need in there. And then instead of going to the gas stations in the future, you could just fill up your own tank because you bought all this oil and you stored it. But the problem is that's expensive to store oil, to store wheat. And of course, if you store wheat long enough, I mean, it goes bad. I mean, you probably have to do things with it to keep it from going bad. But what makes gold such a great store of value, such a great hedge against inflation is the fact that gold is very easy to store because it's very valuable. You can store, you know, a lot of value in a shoebox right? I mean, you you need a lot of land to store any kind of valuable amount of wheat, but you could store, you know, acres and acres of wheat in your sock drawer if you're storing gold. Because if you have gold, you can always buy wheat. Because just like bakers always need wheat, jewelers need gold, right? Computer chip manufacturers need gold. The dental industry needs gold. The aerospace industry, there's all sorts of demand for gold, the commodity, the metal, just like there's all sorts of demand for wheat. at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com/slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold code gold. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. when you are holding your gold, you are storing the future use of that metal by the people who need it. And there is a historic price relationship between one commodity and another commodity. So you know how much wheat should announce a gold buy. There is a historic relationship between those two commodities. And so if you're afraid the price of wheat's going to go up, but you don't want to buy wheat because it's expensive to store and it might rot, Well, you can buy gold because if you have gold, you can always buy wheat based on this historic relationship. That is not the case with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not a commodity in and of itself. So there is not a end user for Bitcoin. You don't use Bitcoin. You don't consume Bitcoin. You only speculate with Bitcoin. So if you're going to buy Bitcoin, there's nothing based on history that would say that you can buy any wheat or any oil with your Bitcoin. You may not be able to buy anything with it because the only way you can sell it is if somebody else wants to gamble that the price is going to go higher. Now, right now, there are people who are willing to gamble on it. But how do you know in a year or five years or 10 years that anybody will be dumb enough to make that gamble? Because right now, there are only two types of people who are buying Bitcoin. There are the people who don't know it's worthless, but they're buying it anyway. And they're the people who know it's worthless, but don't care. And they're buying it anyway, because they think the price is gonna go up. Well, eventually the people who are buying it because they don't care that it's worthless, eventually they're gonna care. And the people who don't know it's worthless, eventually they're gonna figure it out. But of course, by then it's too late because the bottom would have already dropped out of the market. But that is where we're headed. So all these people who keep saying I can store my Bitcoin and buy things in the future are missing the point that it's not a store of value because you cannot store what you do not have, right? Wheat has value, oil has value, gold has value as a metal. So I can store it. I don't have to use my gold today. I can use it in the future. And I don't have to use it myself as long as somebody else needs to use it. They can buy it from me. But nobody needs to buy Bitcoin. So nobody has to buy your Bitcoin unless there's somebody who wants to gamble on future price appreciation. And you have no idea that that's going to happen. But you know, not only does the Bitcoin uh, crowd have to say a bunch of nonsense about gold in order to justify why Bitcoin is just as good, they also say a bunch of nonsense about every other asset class, like stocks, like real estate, like bonds. For example, I'll say the only way that Bitcoin goes up is if somebody else buys it, right? So you're just speculating, you're buying Bitcoin, and the only way you can make money is if somebody else buys it and pays a higher price, right, because, you know, it doesn't have any real value. And what the Bitcoin people always say is, well, that's the same with any asset. They'll say that's exactly the same with gold. No, it's not the same with gold. Some people may buy gold because they think the price is going to go up, but a lot of people are buying gold because they need gold. When a jeweler is buying gold, he doesn't care if the price goes up or down. He just needs the gold to make his jewelry. Now, if he thinks the price is going to go up, he might load up on gold so he can use it to make jewelry in the future. He might want to hedge by holding more inventory, but he ultimately needs the gold to make it into jewelry. The same thing with a computer chip manufacturer. He needs the gold that can talk to electricity. doesn't matter whether the price goes up or down. Now it matters because it's an input cost, and so it factors into his production costs and his prices, but he has a real reason to buy it. You see, all commodities which would include gold, are either consumed or used. Bitcoin is neither consumed nor used. You don't do anything with it. But when you try to compare it to an actual investment, because gold itself is not an investment, it's a commodity, it's a metal. If you buy a gold mining stock, well, then you're making an investment. You're investing in a company that mines gold or explores for gold and hopes to mine gold, right? But other types of investments are bonds and real estate. And the Bitcoin guys keep saying that, well, buying Bitcoin is no different than buying any of those investments. They'll say you're just buying the investment because you want the price to go up and you need somebody to pay a higher price. And so buying Bitcoin is just like buying a stock because it's all about selling it at a higher price. And that is not true. That's because so many people who are buying Bitcoin have no experience with investing and they don't know anything about investing. Although... Given the environment that we're in now, the Federal Reserve has so distorted things that there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the stock market and the bond market that helps to validate the crazy stuff going on with the Bitcoin market. How did you choose your internet service provider? The sad thing is, if you're like most of us, you had very little choice because a lot of ISPs operate like monopolies in the regions that they serve. Then they use this monopoly type power to take advantage of the customers. Data caps, streaming throttles, the list goes on. But worst of all, many ISPs log your internet activity and then they sell the data to the other big tech companies or advertisers. To maintain the privacy of my internet activity, I protect all my devices with ExpressVPN. So what is ExpressVPN? It's a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all of your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your ISP cannot see any of your activity. Just think about how much of your life is on the internet. Sadly, every site you visit, video you watch or message you send gets tracked by an ISP or other tech giant who can then sell your information for a profit. That's one of the reasons that I recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to hide your online activity from your ISP. Of course, my main concern is government and government getting your personal information because the government can actually use your information in ways that might be harmful to you. But, you know, there's another benefit of ExpressVPN. I just happened to experience it myself the other day. You know, I'm here in Puerto Rico and my power bill in Connecticut was delinquent and I needed to pay it and... I wanted to go online and set up the auto pay and every time I tried to access the website, I couldn't do it. And I eventually found out that I couldn't access it because for some reason, the website was unaccessible from Puerto Rico. So I fired up my ExpressVPN and I signed in from a computer in Florida. And then the minute the Connecticut utility thought I was logging in from Florida, I was able to access the site and I was able to fill out the information to set up the auto pay. But if I didn't have ExpressVPN, there was actually no way for me to access that website and pay my utility bill. So stop handing over your personal data to an ISP and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell off your information. Protect yourself with a VPN that I trust to keep my information private. Visit expressvpn.com/gold. That's expressvpn.com/gold to get 3 months free off of your subscription. Again, go to expressvpn.com/gold right now to learn more. Now, what gives stocks value ultimately is that stocks have earnings. They are businesses. When you're buying a stock, you're buying a fractional ownership of a business. And as an owner of that business, you are entitled to your proportionate share of the profits of that business. Now, companies can share the profits in two ways. One, they can pay you a dividend. They can write a check and send it out to all the stockholders and you get your dividend. Nobody has to buy the stock after you. The price of the stock never has to go anywhere because you just get the dividend. So you're not depending on another buyer for that investment to have a return. The investment generates a return because the stock pays a dividend. Now, some companies may not use their earnings to pay dividends. They could use their earnings to buy back their own shares, in which case that will drive the share price higher. But you don't need another third party to buy the stock. The company itself is using its earnings to buy back its stock, and it may do that if it feels that giving its shareholders a capital gain is a more efficient way to distribute earnings than paying out a dividend. But what you have to remember is that what is giving the company the value is the earnings. Now, yes, there is a speculative component because there are stocks that don't have any earnings yet people still buy them so they don't pay dividends and they can't buy back their own stock out of earnings they can buy it back by issuing debt which is what a lot of them do Uh, but there they don't have the earnings but what people are doing when they buy those stocks is they are betting that those stocks will have earnings in the future now maybe they're betting wrong but if they bet right it's those future earnings that are giving the stock value today. Even though it doesn't have any earnings now, it's the potential for future earnings. Now, during a bubble, sometimes investors lose sight of rationality and they're actually buying companies that really never have uh, a shot at really making any money. And in the short run, nobody cares. And so part of that speculative mania in stocks is helping to confuse a lot of the younger investors that don't have much experience as to what stocks are and to thinking that it's all just one big casino and it's all about the price going up. It's not stocks are about earnings and they're about dividends. Yes, the price can go up, but the price should only go up because the earnings are going up or because the dividends are going up. Now, stock multiples can go up, Right, based on interest rates. But ultimately, the multiple is a function of the earnings. Without the earnings, the company is worthless. Yes, a company with no earnings today can have value to the extent that investors believe that there'll be earnings in the future. But if a company never actually delivers on that promise and it never earns any money, it eventually will go out of business and be worth zero. And the people who were betting that it would have earnings bet wrong. Now, the same is true With real estate, when you buy real estate, you can rent it out and you could collect your rental income, right? So you don't buy real estate needing another buyer to generate a return. You get the return from renting out the property or you can use the property yourself. And then the return is you get to live there. You get to enjoy it. You have a place to live or you have a place to vacation or something like that. Or you can buy real estate and you can farm it. Right? You can do something with the land to generate a return. You don't have to depend on the price going up. Now, you can buy land to hold it for appreciation. You can choose to speculate in land. But what's going to make the real estate appreciate is if it is more valuable to another buyer because now he can build something on it and get a higher rent or he can build his own house or something is going to have to happen to increase the value of that land between the time you buy it and the time you sell it, right? It's not just going to be endlessly flipping unless something changes. But ultimately, what gives that land value is the future income that can be generated by using the land for some productive purpose, whether it's you know building a house or an apartment or an office building or a shopping center and collecting rents or farming it or mining it or whatever you're gonna do with it, but it's gonna generate a return. Same thing with bonds, right? You buy a bond, you get interest, right? All investments have a return. Stocks pay dividends, real estate pays rent and bonds pay interest. Now, normally, now, yes, I understand there are some negative yielding bonds right now which is why it's all absurd and I guess in a world of negative yielding bonds you could try to justify bitcoin but negative yielding bonds are an aberration they're only a function of central bank manipulation without the central banks interest rates would be much much higher look a bond with a negative yield is worthless even a bond with a zero yield is worthless I mean, why would you lend money to get no return? What's the point of making the loan? You're taking risk and you're getting nothing. Do something else with your money. So negative yielding bonds or zero yielding bonds have no value. A negative yielding bond where you're paying somebody to borrow your money makes even less sense. But you know, this is what the Fed is doing. The Fed is basically corrupting uh, the investment market uh, with its manipulation. And it's getting people to think, well, Bitcoin at least is better than a negative yielding bond because at least the yield on Bitcoin is zero. And that's better than having a negative yield. But you can't have a zero yield on something that has no value. It's okay to have no yield on gold because you can use gold to do something. You can make something out of gold. It's okay to have no yield on wheat because you can eat it because you can consume it. But ultimately, you can't have no earnings on a stock because a company that makes no money has no value. You can't have land that doesn't throw off any rent or any other income because ultimately it has no value. And you can't have a bond that doesn't pay any interest. But Bitcoin is not an asset because it doesn't generate income. Therefore, it can't pay anything. And it's not a commodity because it can't be used for anything and it can't be consumed. And it's certainly not money, right? Because it it would have to be a commodity to be money. At best, it is a money substitute, except it's not used as a medium of exchange because it's too volatile and too expensive. But at best, it's fiat. It's fiat digital currency or a wannabe fiat digital currency because it's not actually used as a currency. It's just pure speculation. And people are going to be very um, upset when they ultimately find out how much money they lose. In Bitcoin. And they're going to have to come up with a new term because Bitcoin, you know, it's not really a Ponzi scheme. It's not really a pyramid scheme. It's got elements of both. And so I think in the future, they're going to have a whole new word in the lexicon uh, and it's going to be a Bitcoin scheme. And the Bitcoin scheme is going to, you know, incorporate all of the various things that are going on today in, in, in Bitcoin to apply it to schemes in general that may be following the same playbook. And also, now that I brought up the idea of negative interest rates, I was watching a guy today uh, that was on CNBC trying to explain how the stock market got it right and the bond market got it wrong. Because after you know the initial collapse back in March, uh, stocks tanked, uh, bond prices rose sharply, yields plunged. Right, basically. According to this guy, who is one of the regulars uh, guests on the show, it was the stock market that got it right because the stock market knew that we were going to have a big recovery. But the bond market thought the recession would just continue indefinitely. And so the bond investors were wrong in thinking that yields would stay down. And the stock investors were right in knowing that stock prices wouldn't stay down. And they went up. Well, the reality is they were all wrong. They were both wrong. Uh, because nobody really understood the real reason why stock prices and interest rates would both go up. It is not a recovery that is driving prices. It is inflation. It is all the money that the Federal Reserve is printing. So in that respect, I think the stock market buyers, by and large, just got lucky. They weren't right They were just lucky they bought an asset that benefited from massive money printing. Or they knew, maybe some of them realized that, hey, the Fed's going to print all this money. They're taking rates at zero. Uh, We know what this does. It's going to push up asset prices. So we're going to buy assets. But there's another reason that the bond investors didn't necessarily get it wrong in that the bond market was manipulated. The government, the central banks were buying all these bonds. That is the main reason that bond prices rose so much and yields dropped so much is because the Federal Reserve and other central banks interfered and manipulated the markets. So we don't really know if the other investors got it wrong or not, because the Fed was such a big buyer that you couldn't actually see uh, what was going on beneath that. And of course, other people were just copycatting what the Fed was doing. Oh, the Fed's going to buy bonds. Let me hop on this train. Let me, you know, let me let me take a ride on it and make some money by by betting with the Fed, right? Don't fight the Fed. But now, which is what I was saying from the beginning, you know, the dust is settling and the inflation is becoming more apparent. And that is what's pushing bond prices up. That's what's been pushing stock prices up, whether people want to admit that or not. And a market that's driven by inflation. Is very different than a market that's driven by earnings or a market that's driven by economic growth. This is not a healthy market. It's just that a lot of people who are investing in the market don't realize how sick it is, but they're going to find out the hard way. You know, also, I was listening, they had Stephanie Kelton on. This is, I think it was yesterday. And, you know, she's the big modern monetary theory queen. She's out there talking about, you know, how we can keep on printing money. And she has no concerns, right, about all the money printing because she thinks it's necessary because what she was saying on the CNBC interview was that we need all this new money because without it, we wouldn't have enough spending. She said, you have a lot of people who are unemployed and they're not spending enough money. But if we just run these big deficits and print all this money, then they can spend. And she said, you have to remember, what is capitalism all about? It's about spending money. And if people don't have money, we don't have economic growth. So if people don't have jobs and they're not earning money, then it's up to the government to replace the money they're no longer earning with this fresh money we just printed. And it's fine. And it doesn't make a difference whether you earn money or it's just given to you and it's printed, we're still going to have economic growth. And she could not be more wrong. She has completely got the cart before the horse and not understanding that it's economic growth that creates spending, not the other way around. You cannot consume what has not been produced. If all you had to do is print money to create economic growth then every country could have a booming economy. I mean, they've had a printing press for a long time. If all you had to do is print money and everything would be great, but it's not. There is a big difference between working and earning money and just receiving money that's been printed. Because when you have a job and you earn money, right, you have contributed some value to earn that money. You have helped produce products or provide services. And as compensation, you've earned some money. And now you can use that money to buy some of the goods and services that you helped create. But if you don't create anything, if you don't have a job and the government just prints money and gives it to you, now you go out to spend it, you've contributed nothing. Yet you're drawing from the supply of goods and services that you didn't help to expand. So it's pure inflation. Prices just go up. That's the only thing that can happen. But you have all of these clowns. And remember, Joe Biden listens to these modern monetary theorists. These are the big economists of the Democratic Party. And Biden is about to be inaugurated, right, January 20th. Uh, There's a new sheriff in town and it's an entire new posse. And these guys are going to be coming down with all sorts of regulations, all sorts of taxes. But... The biggest thing is going to be the government spending, and the way they're going to pay for it is by using that printing press. And they are going to run that thing in overdrive. And so if things are bad now, wait till you see what happened when Biden's got the press and Janet Yellen is a Secretary of the Treasury. This is just the beginning. What we're seeing now in commodities, this is just the very, very beginning of this massive and unprecedented boom. That we're about to see. I mean, it is going to dwarf anything that we saw or experienced in the 1970s. Also, too, I mentioned this on my last podcast, but it's obviously already apparent that the left and the Biden administration certainly is going to exploit the manufactured crisis of this coup d'etat, the insurrection, the attempted overthrow of the U.S. government that occurred in Washington, D.C., you know, at a protest that clearly got out of hand. But the people that were in Washington and that entered the Capitol, they did not intend to take over the United States government. They didn't come in there with guns. I mean, of course, they would need a lot of uh, artillery uh, for it to be a legitimate coup. You had people in there that, you know, were just sitting down in uh, Nancy Pelosi's office uh, taking selfies. This was an insurrection. Yes, maybe they violated uh, the law, they breaking and entering. Although you look at some of the videos, I mean, you have the police uh, opening up the doors and pretty much ushering the protesters to come inside and just kind of giving them directions to Pelosi's office, whatever they were doing. But the one thing it clearly is not is an organized attempt to actually overthrow The United States government. I mean, first of all, the United States government has funded a lot of attempts, some successful, to overthrow other governments. And we can do that all the time. But that clearly was not what was going on now. But they are using this uh, to, I think, lay the foundation for another version of the Patriot Act, because, of course, they're calling all of these protesters terrorists, right? Domestic terrorists. And now we need all sorts of additional legislation to prevent this type of insurrection, this type of terrorism in the future. And again, none of these uh, politicians or corporations, because you now have all these corporations that are distancing themselves. Not only are all the social media companies like Twitter or Facebook deplatforming, right? They shut down Twitter, ban for life, lifetime ban, Donald Trump's. Twitter account, right? And now I read a bunch of banks don't want to do business. They're closing uh, uh, Trump's bank account. I had a similar experience recently. You know, I had Banco Popular close my account. They, you know, I had some bad publicity, so they said we can't do business with you. Well, now you've got banks closing down the president of the United States account because they don't want to be associated. But all sorts of businesses now are backing away, not only from Trump, but any Republicans that were supposedly. Uh, Involved in this coup d'etat, right? Because now they have blood on their hands because five people died. And so therefore, if you somehow uh, supported the idea that maybe the election wasn't fair, maybe there was some cheating going on, if you supported that or you wanted, you know, the electoral college to look into it, well, now you've got blood on your hands too and we want nothing to do with you, right? So everybody is backing away uh, from this and they are really exploiting this. Like I've never seen... And the same politicians or corporations—they didn't have any problem with all the actual rioting and looting that took place, you know, by the Black Lives Matter crowd, by Antifa, you know, in the aftermath of George Floyd. Nobody was saying, "Oh, we're going to boycott uh, uh, anybody that had anything to do with that." No, no, they were bending over their backwards. All these corporations were writing checks to Black Lives Matter, you know, because they were out there encouraging. Actual looting and destruction and burning buildings. How did corporate America respond? They wrote big checks to Black Lives Matter, right? They took in a huge cash of donations because everybody wanted to show how much they weren't racist uh, by making these donations. But now, all these corporate, oh no, we can't have anything to do with anybody that supported any of these protesters, even though the damage that they caused is nothing compared to the damage caused by the rioters and the looters uh, following George Floyd. And of course, they don't even want to call those guys terrorists. No, no, no. They were just protesting. They were just upset. And so they were protesting. Well, why aren't they cutting the same slack to the people who were in Washington? Uh, weren't they upset? Weren't they protesting? Yes, it got out of hand. We all agree that it got out of hand, but not nearly as out of hand as as these Black Lives Matter protests, but the same people don't care. Massive, massive double standard. But what really concerns me is what type of Patriot style uh, regulation are we gonna get to crack down on this non-existent manufactured threat, right? We got the the Patriot Act following September 11th when we actually were attacked by terrorists, Uh, but who knows what kind of new legislation is going to be imposed. But remember, the Democrats are great at doing this. Never let a crisis go to waste, especially the crisis that you manufacture yourself. In fact, a lot of times the crises are specifically manufactured and exploited so they can use them to justify bigger government and further intrusion on our economic liberty. But Whenever we are less free and have less liberty and we have a bigger government, it also means less prosperity, more poverty, more inflation. All this stuff is coming and people need to protect themselves. Also, I don't think it's a coincidence that all of these social media companies that are deplatforming Donald Trump or cracking down on conservatives, you know, not that Donald Trump is a conservative. He's not, but certainly a lot of people think he is. There are a lot of liberals that think he's a conservative. And there's a lot of conservatives who thinks he's one of them. Uh, but, But he's not. That's one of the big problems. But my point here is that it's not coincidental because I think these media companies like Twitter, they want to curry favor with the incoming Biden administration. And they know that these guys are going to bring the regulatory hammer down particularly uh, on a lot of these tech companies and social media companies. So they want to do everything they can uh, to get in their good graces and to curry favor with Biden and his buddies. And so what better way to do that than to cramp down on their political adversaries and on Donald Trump? And so that's what's going on. I mean, obviously, Trump's been president for four years. He's been tweeting all sorts of things that the left didn't like. But while Trump was in charge and had all the executive power, social media didn't want to mess with him because, you know, they were worried. But now that he's on the way out and Biden is on the way in, now they can really come down on Trump because it's Biden that they have to worry about. And of course, since the Democrats are far more interested in regulating business, business has far more to fear from the Democrats than it does from the Republicans. And so it is more anxious Uh, to do the government's bidding to try to protect itself. So it's acting in its own self-interest by doing what it thinks the Democrats want, right? They're behaving, they got their mind right, so the Democrats will leave them alone and, in fact, maybe even help pad their profits by protecting them from competition or helping to provide other forms of subsidies that might benefit those companies uh, at the expense of others or the overall U.S. economy. Hey, by the way, I uh, recorded or I did live today a workshop for The Money Show. And you can go to moneyshow.com and and, and track down the talk that I gave this morning. Uh, I already got some comments or some feedback. Some people said it was the best talk they'd heard me give. Uh, So I talked a lot about inflation. I touched on some of those themes in today's podcast, but you might want to listen to it again, uh, in uh, The Money Show. And of course, The Money Show is, uh, is visual too. So you can see me as well as hear me. Uh, so try to track that down. It is free, I believe. You just got to give them some information and then you can check it out.